Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. In the nation's capital right now, Joe Biden's future is all bound up inside these mahogany boxes. I think they're very old boxes that, you know, kind of look like treasure chests. Slate's Jim Newell is going to spend the day reporting about what's inside these boxes. They might be magical boxes. I don't know the, the entire history of them. They contain what's called certificates of ascertainment from the states and the official electoral college count that'll make Joe Biden the 46th president of the United States. Later today, these boxes will be brought into a joint session of Congress cracked open, and then the contents will get tallied up, making Biden's win official. You know, it, it, there's a lot of pomp and circumstance going on with this very uh, ministerial task here. Right, because it's not like they're certifying it or something. It's just like they're acknowledging it, right? Yeah, they're they're accepting it. I mean, the, it's been certified. It's all done at the state level, and they just are the final link in the process. It's kind of like the federal government accepting the state's results. But each state's results will be announced. Someone has the opportunity to raise objections. If there's no objections, then they're counted. And then once, you know, every state goes through, the vice president will will gavel it shut. But this year, of course, there are objections. A lot of them from Republican representatives and senators who, in a last-ditch effort to please the president, have decided to do what they can to delay the inevitable. There hasn't, I I don't think, at least any time in recent memory, been an episode where there could be so many objections that could just keep the process going. So uh, no one really knows when this is going to end. No one knows what day it's going to end. You think it could be multiple days? Oh, yeah, Absolutely. And I, I think that Steny Hoyer, the majority leader, I think he's, his office has given that advisory that, you know, this, this could go into Thursday, hopefully not Friday. We'll see. I guess the people who are going to be raising these objections will just see how quickly they get bored with it. <laughs> That's such a, how quickly they get bored of it. It sounds like you have, like, a, a bunch of miscreant teenagers with ADHD, yeah, no, that's a very good way of describing it. Um, probably one of the more generous ways to describe it, too. I mean, is there any argument that what's about to take place on Capitol Hill is a good thing? Like, it has to, everyone has to get on the record and kind of, like, air it out. I don't think it's a good thing at all. I mean, I, I think I've seen some Democrats say, fine, let them make fools of themselves. But there's still going to be perhaps a majority of House Republicans and then a good number of Senate Republicans who are going along with this idea that there were irregularities that have tainted the election and using their official jobs to, to protest that when that's completely made up. Today on the show, 
Did you really think the election was over? For a lot of people, it simply isn't, which is why this final ceremonial step in the process has become a political battleground. I'm Mary Harris. You're listening to What Next? Stick with us. This episode is brought to you by Discover. When it comes to your finances, Discover wants you to know they are the credit card that is always there for you. With 24-7 U.S.-based live customer service, everyone has the option to talk to a real person anytime, day or night. Yep, that means no more waiting for, quote, normal business hours just to get a hold of someone. We are talking real service from real people whenever you need it. Get the customer service you deserve with Discover. Limitations apply. See terms at discover.com slash credit card. The first thing to understand about this congressional count going on today is that for the last 20 years, members have been raising objections to presidential elections. The difference this year is the sheer scale of those objections. Mr. Speaker, the Vice President and the United States Senate. Back in 2017, when Congress gathered to certify the results of the election of President Trump, Jim was there. And back then, he watched Democrats push back against Trump's electoral victory. At the time, Joe Biden was presiding over everything as vice president. And what you saw was a lot of House members raising objections when states were mentioned and just kind of giving these political speeches. And then Joe Biden would gavel them shut. It is over. And I don't think many people actually paid attention to this back then because it was just, you know, I wasn't even sure why I was going to it. I think I just wanted to see history a little bit. But it was very um, kind of boring affair. It wasn't this this kind of live issue that we're, we're seeing this time. Well, it also sounds like Biden kind of took the reins a little bit and just said, OK, like we got some we got some folks who have some things to say here. That's great. But like you got a couple minutes and then we need to keep it pushing. Yeah, yeah. I He wasn't really try, trying to disrupt anything. You know, I, I guess that's very Biden. You know, he realizes he has a historical role here and he's just going to see it through and you take that very seriously. So how is this year going to look different than that? Sure. So in, in 2017, what you had was you'd see House members raise objections, but then they couldn't get a senator to join them in the objection. And that meant that the objections weren't in order. There was one moment in 2017 where uh, Maxine Waters, she raised an objection. She looked over to the Senate side and begged, you know, can, is there one senator who will join me? And there was just silence. Hmm. So it was very just kind of theatrical. It wasn't actually um, going to slow down the process. So you need a kind of like buddy system to do this? Yeah. So for each objection, it has to be written, first of all. A written objection from a House member objecting to a slate of electors from a particular state and then a matching one from a senator. And if there are matching objections to a particular state, then each house breaks off into debate for a maximum of two hours, and they have a vote on whether to accept or reject those electors. And so what it looks like this year is you have a bunch of House members who are ready to raise objections, and then you have at least one senator, Josh Hawley from Missouri, who says he's a, he would object to at least one state. So that means, you know, assuming they don't have some sudden change of heart, that we're going to have at least one roll call vote in both the House and the Senate on uh, whether to accept or reject electors. But it, it could be up to six states. And we should say there's no legal basis 
for any of these politicians to be questioning the Electoral College results here, right? No. I mean, every case of the Trump administration or the Trump campaign or outside groups or allies brought before courts, I think they had maybe their record was one in 60 or something in court. I mean, at every level of federal court, none of these challenges went anywhere. A lot of these objections are based on just the word irregularities or um, so much of it goes down to just social media videos of things that people don't understand. Like, oh, I saw a video where machine counted a ballot three times. And, you know, those have all been debunked a million times. It's just, um, you know, Trump has convinced a large part of the Republican base and a lot of social media things have spread that have convinced people that it wasn't fair. So that's sort of the pressure you see on Republicans to raise these objections about irregularities. So after this two hours of debate, you mentioned there's a vote. The chamber decides whether to accept or reject the challenge Mm -hmm. to the results. Is there any chance the chamber would accept the challenge and try to reject these votes? No. First of all, for, for a slate of electors to be actually thrown out, you would need both the House and the Senate to vote to reject them. So there's not a single state that the House, which is controlled by Democrats, is going to reject the electors of. And in the Senate, I think you have about like, you know, someone's doing a whip count for the coup here. And I you have about 20 Republicans so far. <laughs> it's going to be more who are not going to be going along with any of this. So each Senate vote, too, each Senate challenge should be pretty swiftly rejected on a bipartisan basis. So no chance, purely just theater. But it's happening anyway. Yeah, no chance. I mean, I get the chills a little bit when I say that because uh, I don't know, who knows? But yeah, there's, it's, it's um, you know, it was John Thune who said it and got in a lot of trouble with the president. This is the number two Senate Republican said it's going to go be put down like a dog or something. So it, it it's really not going to go anywhere. It's pure performance for the president. After the break, not every Republican is on board with these shenanigans. So what's going to happen to the Republican caucus When the vote's over. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Hey, listeners, whether you love true crime or comedies, celebrity interviews, news, or even motivational speakers, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue, right? And guess what? Now you can call the shots on your auto insurance, too. Enter the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. The Name Your Price tool puts you in charge of your auto insurance by working just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance. Then they'll show you a variety of coverages that fit within your budget, giving you options. Now, that's something you'll want to press play on. It's easy to start a quote, and you'll be able to choose the best option for you, fast. It's just one of the many ways you can save with Progressive Insurance. Quote today at Progressive.com to try the Name Your Price tool for yourself and join over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. So far, nearly a dozen Republican senators have said they're going to dispute state election results in this display of loyalty to the president. But part of what's interesting about watching all this play out for Jim Newell is that Republican sentiment is pretty publicly divided when it comes to what's going to go down later today. It's the kind of tension the GOP has been able to keep under the rug until now. 
So while Senators Josh Hawley and Ted Cruz are leading the charge on behalf of President Trump, Senate Majority Leader Mitch McConnell and Trump ally Tom Cotton are doing the opposite. For a senator like Cotton, justifying his stance has revealed cracks in Republican ideology. And it's led him to be surprisingly honest about what it takes for Republicans to win office. He gave three reasons, which I think you're seeing shared in statements from some of those other Republicans who are opposing this effort. They're saying, first, it would pretty much put the power to elect presidents in Congress. Yeah, that's a really bad precedent. He said it would imperil the Electoral College. And he also said it would, you know, this is another step towards federalizing election law, which is a big no-no in Republican ideology. It's that imperil the Electoral College thing that really stands out to me. Because if you do show that all the ceremonial mechanics in this Electoral College process can kind of be wielded and taken up to overturn what the actual will of the voters is, then that's not very good for the future of the Electoral College um, as a legitimate mechanism for electing presidents. And the Electoral College is, you know, the only way Republicans can win the presidency right now. Yeah, I mean, there was one letter from House Republicans that said, basically, Republicans have lost the popular vote for a long time. We need the Electoral College to get into office, which was weirdly honest. Yeah, no, it was it was extremely honest. I mean, it said, I'll just read a bit of it here. From a purely partisan perspective, Republican presidential candidates have won the national popular vote only once in the last 32 years. They have therefore depended on the Electoral College for nearly all presidential victories in the last generation. And then it pretty much says, you know, it's the only reason Trump won in 2016, and it's the only way that we can win back the presidency in 2024. So they do not want to delegitimize the Electoral College. And and using one of these parliamentary procedures, essentially, this final confirmation in Congress to set the precedent, at least, for, for overturning an election is not a path that a lot of them want to go down. So if the goal here of today is not to get Trump to stay in office because it can't be, the votes aren't there. Can we talk about the real goal? Like like you've said, basically, this is a way for some Republicans to like brush up their bona fides with voters and present who they really are looking at 2024. Yeah. So, I mean, the, the big stick here in this in this question is just that Trump, if you go against Trump, you run the risk of Trump you know, tweeting about you or campaigning against you or something and inviting a primary challenge. So that's something that gets a lot of members who are going to go along with Trump's scheme um, in line here. But then you also have some people like Josh Hawley or Ted Cruz, who are well understood to be looking at presidential runs, who are are taking the lead in this sort of objecting or rejecting process of electors because they think, you know, that might give them a leg up or at least, you know, get them in the news even, <laughs> Um, ahead of of a potential 2024 primary. I mean, you had this great line when you wrote about what's about to happen, where you said earning the enmity of establishment colleagues is the first step towards sort of establishing yourself as a national political figure. Like, it's not about teamwork. It's about, you know, differentiating yourself and and making it clear that, you know, you're mad at those people in Washington and like what they're doing. And that's not that's not you. I think Ted Cruz is an interesting case to look at here because he's run this playbook before. He came to Congress in 2013. He picked a lot of fights. You know, he 
He went against party leaders to uh, cause a government shutdown in 2013. He went against uh, some party leaders to, to kill an immigration bill. And it worked. I mean, it worked for him. It raised his profile and helped him in a Republican primary to say he made all the right people in Washington mad. And then after that election, you know, where he didn't win, but he came in second, which is not bad, you know. He came back and he tried to mend some of his relationships in Washington. But now I think we're starting to see Ted Cruz go back to his preparing to run for president version because he, you know, very much against what Mitch McConnell or a lot of his Republican colleagues would wish him to do, sort of is leading this charge saying, if there's an objection, we will vote to reject these electors unless our ludicrous conditions are met. And I I just think this is what the next few years are going to look like. You're going to have people who are looking to run for president go against their party, piss off some of their colleagues as as a goal, you know, to to set yourself apart. So I got to ask, like, what happens after today? Like, is Mitch McConnell going to be picking up the pieces? I think, you know, they'll get through this, but you, you could see after this situation, it's a question of how long this vote is going to be remembered. I mean, Mitch McConnell did not want this vote because he did not want members who are up in 2022 to, to have to take a difficult vote like this. And you could see, you know, if this is something that Trump keeps bringing up, you know, what, even when he's ex-president in all his many media appearances, because uh, I believe he will continue talking <laughs> publicly, um, you know, if he's going to still go after all these people who went against him, and then whether you'll have a bunch of primary challenges uh, for 2022. I don't know how successful all those primary challenges are going to be, but that's sort of the, the potential ruinous legacy of this for Republicans. But, you know, in a couple of weeks, we'll have the Biden presidency and, and things will sort of take on a new configuration here. And I'm sure Republicans will uh, unite a little bit more around, you know, blocking Biden's agenda. One part of what makes this vote interesting, I think, is the timing, which is it's happening right smack up against the Georgia runoffs. And so there's this feeling of the Georgia runoffs will tell us a lot about the future of the parties and and what we need to be saying to voters. And, you know, we don't have that answer yet. So in that vacuum, you see people making bets saying, okay, I, th- I, think, I think the bet is uh, aligned with Trump, or, okay, I think the bet is stand against this. And that's part of what makes it sort of a, an interesting Rorschach test for me. I mean, people would like to see, like, the, those members who stand with Trump in this issue will go down in history as um, seditious traitors. And, uh, you know, I, I just, I wish I could say that was true, but I don't know that. You know, those who go with Trump here could win their primary <laughs> and, you know, be easily reelected to Congress and things could be quite fine. So we don't know how these, how a lot of the Trump presidency, but especially this post-election period where Trump has really, just really been pathetic, but it hasn't seemed to collapse his approval rating or anything like that. We don't know how this is all to be remembered or how well it's going to be remembered at all. You know, before the election, there was this article in The Atlantic that I'm sure that you read by Barton Gelman talking about what will happen if Trump doesn't concede. And I've thought about it a lot over the last six, eight weeks, mostly because 
there are parts of it that were so prescient. Like he highlighted how we need to pay attention to all of these ceremonial moments because there are chances for disputes to be aired out and for politicians to put their thumb on the scale in favor of Trump, no matter what the votes said. But <laughs> what stands out to me is is that things have happened that that make that article seem really <laughs> prescient, but in like the silliest way possible. And strangest way possible. It makes it hard to predict what happens now. Yeah, I think that article, it it really laid out worst case scenarios here. And I guess we haven't seen quite that, you know, what you saw as this process went along was as many Republicans as possible would take Trump's side until it got to the point where someone who is required by law to break from Trump had to put it down. So you saw state legislators in Michigan or uh, Pennsylvania kind of sign these petitions about how the election results should be objected, but then their governor, you know, is required by law to certify them. So they didn't have to take the blame for for Trump's laws. And I, I guess you could say that means this, the system held here. It doesn't give me a lot of confidence. I view this as just kind of another... Um, you know, there's like this big battering ram at the gates against this whole institution, and this really took out a, a pretty big chunk of it. Jim Newell, thank you so much for joining me. Good luck out there today. All right, thank you. Jim Newell is Slate's senior politics writer. And that is the show. What Next is produced by Daniel Hewitt, Elena Schwartz, Davis Land, and Mary Wilson. Franny Kelly is helping us out, too. Alicia Montgomery and Allison Benedict edit our ideas, and sometimes they take a whack at our scripts. And I'm Mary Harris. You can find me over on Twitter. I'm at Mary's Desk. And I will see you back here tomorrow. mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.